Hello, hello, and welcome to Megan's podcast. I'm your host, Megan Collins. I'm a cultural anthropologist specializing in trend forecasting, digital behavior, and youth research. This is my podcast where I share what's cool right now and why with the side of existentialism and anti-capitalism. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first real episode of Megan's podcast this year. My first episode of this year was actually my 2024 trend predictions. So we didn't do the usual internet discourse and what's up with me banter. And so I'm excited to jump back into it. And I'm really excited for 2024 and podcasting. I'm hoping to podcast at least once a week, sometimes more. I probably will definitely miss a few weeks just because that's how life goes, but I'm staying optimistic about it. And I'm going to try to stick to the goal. This is a time where a lot of people are committing to challenges. There's the 75 hard style challenge that old loser in Brooklyn is doing. I challenge you to the 75 hard style challenge. The rules, fairly straightforward. Get dressed every single day for 75 days straight and document all of your looks. Don't buy anything new. Don't introduce anything new to your wardrobe. This one's really, really important because the point is to really get creative and rely on your own brain and your own closet for inspiration. Sari on, over on her podcast has been talking a lot about her daily painting challenge that really changed her art practice. And I know myself too well to commit to a daily anything. I think that I, I have so many routines and none of them are daily. And I think that one of the things that I've come to in my perfectionism is that I'm not going to be an everyday type of person, but I can be like a committed to a project overall type of person. So I'm committing to there being a weekly podcast and I'm also accepting that it might not always be good. So looking forward to doing that in 2024 and just continuing podcasting. I love doing this. I love all of your feedback and I love pop culture and talking about it. So here's two more of it in 2024. I want more. A few quick personal updates. I went to Ojai for the new year as I always do and I had a lovely time. If I had the balls, I would go move there, but I don't really feel like moving or making new friends in a new city, especially one as white as Ojai. So here I stay. Maybe I'll retire there someday, but it was beautiful. I brought Daisy. She loved it. I went with my friend Mary. We had the best time. Went to all my favorite spots, Bart's Books, The Crystal Corner, The Nest. And at The Nest, actually, I ran into Justin Baldoni, who's an actor and also the host of the Man Enough podcast, which I listen to. I'm trying to explore masculinity and what it means to be a man, to become who I am and realizing in the process that I don't know anything about myself or my dad. So that was really cool. And I actually talked to him. I've seen a lot of celebrities in my day, but this is my first time where I went up to a celebrity and I was like, you're this celebrity and I love your work. And he was super nice. He shook my hand. He introduced himself to me and Mary. And yeah, he was just very nice. He's very handsome. Um, Mary said he's taller in person than she thought he would be. I thought he was about as tall as I expected, but I've watched a lot of Jane the Virgin. <laughs> and overall, it was a 10 out of 10 celeb experience. And then I already checked off one of my New Year's goals, which was to get a library card. I really believe in, we talked about in the predictions episodes, the importance of third spaces. And I actually think the city where I live has a really great library program and I'm excited to be part of it. That's one way that you can like do something good for the world that's pretty low stakes is just go get a library card because then your library will get more funding. It'll show that this is something that the community is interested in. And one thing I've learned on TikTok is librarians do so much 
more for the community than just, you know, know where the books are. So go check out your local library. It probably has a lot of cool resources and things that you didn't know about. And I'm looking forward to making my local library system one of my third spaces in the new year. All right, let's get into what's happening this week. First up, I wanted to talk about two discourses that are kind of over now, but I think just in general, you know, we need to talk about and recap. And the first is the Stanley Cup discourse. So I've actually written about Stanley Cups and why they're so popular for the Empty Jacko blog. You can check that out and I'll link it in mentioned media. But just in general, Stanley Cups has become quite a phenomenon with people. Most recently, this became a point of conversation online when there was a new Stanley Cup unveiled at Target that's like pink special edition. And there was a literal run on the Stanley Cups. Like people were running, shoving. There were stories of people having fights with other women um, over Stanley Cups at Target. People stealing Stanley Cups out of other people's carts. I was shocked. Honey, I was in tears almost. It was wild. And then we also had the discourse of tweens at Sephora, of there being these 10-year-old girls who have no manners, go to Sephora, run in there, ruin the makeup, just run amok, basically. And what an issue that this is. People are blaming the parents. People are blaming the lack of third spaces, yada, yada, yada. However, I think one thing that is under-discussed weirdly in all of this is the role of consumerism and how much consumerism is baked into white womanhood. I've talked about this before, that there is no place in America that the white woman is more powerful than at a store and that's and even this like pushback we had to karen's yes it started as a critique of the way that white women exercise their power over people of color and marginalized groups but it quickly became a tool to put white women back in their place in retail environments and i will say i have seen plenty of white women go off in a retail environment (laughs) but i do think that there's a big difference between a woman calling the cops on a little girl selling water and a Karen yelling at an employee because they won't take her return. Like clearly we can see the difference in those just two situations, right? So basically this movement that came from black and brown communities to talk about something very real that they faced was accepted as the mainstream, but then weaponized against white women to lessen their power that they had at stores as Karens. Cause it was always like they could just go to that mode and then suddenly they're super powerful. All right then. And so I don't think we can talk about Stanley Cubs and Sephora tweens without acknowledging that this is what we've socialized women to do. Women be shopping! Dang, you can't stop a woman from shopping, baby! That's true, women do shop. (laughs) You could look at this behavior and go, girls will be girls, and then move on. Instead, we had a whole two cycles of discourse about it, whose responsibility it is, and how it's so awful. Imagine if we just said girls would be girls. White girls will be white girls. The way we say boys will be boys and we find out about rape and sexual assault and womanizing and all of that, we say boys will be boys. But when we find out about white women doing what they were trained to do, exercising their power as consumers to prove their place in the social hierarchy, suddenly it's a problem. And look, I'm not condoning going and running to Target and treating employees badly. But I think that we need to look at this like a societal problem and not like an individual problem and specifically a cultural problem among white women. I think I've brought this up before, but there's this book called Friday Black and there's a story in there that's literally about a Black Friday that becomes the this life or death high stakes environment. It's a, obviously a satire about consumerism, but I also think that maybe part of why we're seeing this rabid behavior around random things like Stanley Cups is because we, you know, girls will be girls, women be shopping. But shopping is interesting because it's a behavior that women engage in that's not super respected, but also is super necessary for America and the economy. And you see throughout culture and pop culture that women have kind of a desire for it to be legitimized as a skill. And 
and a hobby and something that they're good at. You had extreme couponing, you had grocery store game shows, prices right. And so I think that part of this frenzy around things like the Stanley Cup or preceding the Stanley Cup, right done women, is to gamify this hobby behavior that they're kind of pigeonholed into. And it's the only place that they really have any control or power in their lives. And they want to like bask in that and play in that. And I think that's where a lot of the Stanley craziness comes from. So I'm not saying, I'm not condoning the behavior, but I think we need to analyze it with a slightly more empathetic lens and critique consumerism while we're at it. And then when it comes to Sephora teens, I just have to say that I think we collectively as a culture are gearing up to to justify having left a generation of children behind. And I refuse to look away and blame them and their parents for this. Education is shit. We're killing kids in Palestine. We don't care about global warming. Like I grew up in the George Bush time where he was like, no child left behind, no child left behind. And now it's just like kids are fucked and no one gives a shit. I think that a conversation like the Sephora discourse seems harmless, seems like we're just, you know, talking shit about the teens. But at the end of the day, we're painting them out to be these villains in culture so that if and when they grow up to be adults with bleak futures, we're like, oh, we always knew they would be like this. Remember when they were doing runs on Sephora? They've always been bad kids. They're not bad kids. It's a bad environment. So culture has turned on the children and the internet has turned on Selena Gomez. I can't pinpoint exactly where this started. I do think that her Apple TV documentary about her mental health might have been the beginning of it, but because it was mental health focused, I think people were not very quick to critique her around that. But a lot of people were like, oh, she's entitled. She's annoying. Yada, yada, yada. And what hurts the most is people can go from people you know to people you don't. And then all of this stuff keeps happening with Haley and Justin, and people are really uncomfortable with how she always plays the victim. And perhaps some of the most quote-unquote damning evidence, I think, to me is The Idol on HBO, HBO Max, which was made by The Weeknd. And I actually didn't watch this show, but it was popular enough. Not even popular. It was zeitgeisty enough that enough people were talking about it. And I was listening to Who Weekly, and they were talking about how clearly this is how The Weeknd sees Selena Gomez. I'm just a freak, yeah. You know I want it back. Basically, it's about this pop star who pretends that she's, you know, this, like, poor victim girl who's just, like you know, oh, everyone's just using me. Nobody loves me. But at the end of the day, she's truly like evil and a villain. At least that's the read I got of it from my peripheral. I didn't even view it from my peripheral absorption of the plot. And the thing about Abel is this was clearly a personal project for him. Like he clearly really thought he was doing something here with this project and really thought, you know, he was really showing us some dark underside of something or other. And like I said, I haven't watched the show, so I can't I have no place actually to be saying any of this, <laughs> but I do think it's part of the, it's part of what gave people permission to question if Selena is really the person that she portrays herself to be online and this person who's always so delicate that people say mean things and then she has to take a 48 hour social media break. But this Sunday at the Golden Globes, she was seen relaying some tea to Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift's date to the awards Kelly Teller. And the internet immediately was like, this is about Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner and made this whole narrative about how Selena Gomez had asked Timmy to take a picture and Kylie had said no. And whether or not I believe this to be true. What I find interesting is that the internet is just looking for a reason to hate Selena Gomez. They want her to be annoying. They're done with her. They're over it. And and I'm just, 
I just wish I knew what Selena was like so I could know for for a from an anthropological perspective. Is this truly Selena Gomez is not a great person and we're kind of in this like truth moment where we're seeing things for what they really are and the rose-colored glasses are coming off? My mama don't like you and she likes everyone. Or if Selena Gomez has just stopped giving the public what they want and because of that she's facing backlash in the form of, well, we never liked you anyway. Well, you're ugly. Well, you're mean. The same way that like once you reject a man, they no longer like you. She's kind of rejected seeking public approval. And so are we the public just rejecting her back? I don't know. And I don't actually know what Selena Gomez is like in person, so I can't say. Speaking of becoming the villain, Disney is becoming the villain, like in a major way. I always say three's a trend. I have three reasons why Disney is, as a corporation, officially becoming the villain. Pour the tea. First, everybody hates Disney adults. Like there's so much ire for Disney adults. And I get some of it is like, there are a few obnoxious Disney adults. However, for the most part, what are Disney adults but people who love the thing they love and enjoy spending time and money in that space? I do think that they're, they skew white Republican, you know. What kind of American are you? I do think that the Disney adult is overrepresented, especially online by family vloggers and Republicans. And I do see why that would cause a bit of a distaste in people's mouth. But overall, I think that there's kind of a backlash to adults enjoying wholesomeness and being really big fans of things that we see as quote unquote childish. Girl, fuck them kids and I used to be a Disney adult, but I loved, and I had this reflection years later in college. I loved going to Disneyland and me and my friends had passes, especially senior year. And it was because I don't, I don't really love drinking. I'll have a glass of wine or a drink every now and then, but I'm not a drinker. And even in college, I didn't love drinking the way other people did, but I didn't really know that about myself. So I would just find myself at Disneyland most Friday nights instead of at a party. Please enjoy your party. I'll be here. And when you think about it, it's just a great place to go where you're safe. It's a walkable city. People are nice. And what's there to hate? But people hate Disney adults. People also are starting to hate Bob Iger. We talked about this in the last episode where he, ever since the writer's strike and his really out of touch comments, he's just kind of been persona non grata. And so he also, so there's this woman, Christine McCarthy. I did a great, my most listened to episode ever actually is called Fragile Male Egos Are Out, The Girlies Are In. And in it, I do a close reading of an article written about the drama that brought Bob Iger back to Disney. Um, and the woman who helped stage the coup that brought him back, he fired her. He got rid of her. And I think that that's kind of sus if, you know, she helped bring him back. And then he's like, bye. Still got scars on my back from your knife. So- and then lastly, the Steamboat Mickey, Mickey Mouse IP has entered the public domain this year. And there's already a slasher film in the works. So Mickey is becoming a literal villain in that he is going to actually be murdering people. And so there's three examples of Disney becoming the villain. Okay. Well, that makes me a villain. <laughs> Then so fucking be it. Okay, a few things I watched and read. The Golden Globes, I did not watch, but all my millennial friends did and we're talking about it. I looked at all the gowns. Honestly, kind of boring, not super impressed. The awards, whatever. I, I just don't care. I have seen a few Golden Globes-y things, 
you know, awards movies, but I'm not really like in the Oscar. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about this stuff anymore. I hope I care about the Oscars, but I thought I would care more about the Golden Globes and I just don't. I did see an awardsy movie over the weekend, American Fiction. It was really, really good. So I wanted to go in with low expectations. I wanted to go in with no expectations, but I consumed so much marketing around it that I had expectations and they were met exactly. I thought it was a really good movie. There's this one actress in there who I, I was like, she's so familiar. Where's she from? Erica Alexander, who plays Coraline, the love interest in the movie. But then I realized... She's from Living Single. She just looks so good that I I didn't think that, like, she looks the same. That, like, I didn't put it in my mind that it could be the same person. She played my favorite character on Living Single, too. So I just thought that was really cool that, like, she's still acting and she's still amazing and she's so funny. And I loved Living Single and that just reminded me of that. But it was a fantastic movie and it also just had so many... You can tell that the person who wrote it writes. Like, he's a writer. He did a lot of, like parallel like uh scenes one of the ones i picked up on for instance is so the main character is um he comes from a family of doctors but he's professor writer english teacher and he has a phd and he's talking to his his sister his older sister i think anyways he's talking to his sister who's a doctor a medical doctor and she's saying like blah 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 well you should listen to me i'm a doctor he's like i'm a doctor too and she's like She's like, yeah, of words or whatever. Like, you're not a real doctor. And then later on, he's talking to his younger brother, who's a plastic surgeon. And he's trying to get, he's trying to basically convince his brother to help him with something because his brother's more qualified. And he's like, come on, you're a doctor. And his brother's like, you're a doctor too. And he's like, not really. And so it, it was just interesting to see how he would like position the doctorship depending on what he wanted. And he was just such a deeply flawed man that I was like, it took a very self-aware man to write this character. And I think Jeffrey Wright played him amazingly. Like from the first scene, the i was like oh this man is very angry and then like three quarters into the movie someone's like you're so angry and he's like what me and so i was like they just played this perfectly um i have some notes actually so i'll pull those up instead of just rambling and then give you my thoughts but overall i think you should go see the movie it was really good and i really enjoyed it could have been shorter but okay my notes they had tracy ellis ross playing an eldest daughter loved it i don't want to spoil so i'm not going to say what happens but poignant okay at one point in the movie He's having a conversation with his mom who has Alzheimer's and she tells him, oh, it's not your fault. You're so lonely. Geniuses are lonely. That was some boy mom bullshit. I've gone through the lonely genius arc and come out the other side being like, you're only lonely if you place your genius as your number one priority in your life. If everyone else recognizing that you're a genius, if being a genius is the most important thing to you, then yeah. You're going to live a lonely life because anybody who places their own self image above all else in life is going to be lonely as this man did. He teaches across the country from his family and he's like, oh, I'm so lonely. It's like, yeah, you literally left your family to go be applauded for how smart you are. Of course you're lonely. Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. Sterling K. Brown was incredible as always. I, okay, I used to watch Army Wives. Sterling Kane Brown was in Army Wives and I think that I underestimated how much gravitas he brought to that show because I loved that show. Then once he became a serious actor, I was kind of like, mm, is he really that great? Like homie was on Army Wives on Lifetime. But no, he is amazing. And this is the first movie I've seen. I, I admit I haven't watched a lot of his work in between Army Wives and this. I just know that he's been winning a lot of awards and I've been super happy for him. But this is where I was like, oh, I get it. I see. He is amazing. Even when he's not playing an army husband in a low budget TV show. Um, also, 
the way he's like filled with resentment and just seething with resentment, it was heartbreaking. My favorite joke in the movie was they're at a conference room discussing which book they should go with to award a prize. And the two black authors disagree with the three white authors. And then the three white authors, then they come to a decision and completely ignore what um, the main character and the other black woman in the room had said. And there's this great shot where they have the conference table set up and the white people on one side, the black people on the other side. And they completely steamroll their opinion. And then the woman says, it's so important that we listen to black voices. (laughs) And I died. That was another thing that I'll say is that I live in a kind of white place. And there was the laugh track and my theater was giving. It was giving. I can't be racist because I voted for Obama. The first time we got an embroidered laugh from the theater was when the Mammy character, who I think they subverted, so I'm, this isn't a critique, but they have this wo- this housekeeper woman who takes care of him. She makes a joke. And that was the first time that like the crowd let out a chuckle. And there had been jokes before that at white people's expense, and they either didn't pick up on it or didn't find it funny. And so that kind of set the tone for me and helps you understand like what they found funny in this film. But the <laughs> I think it's so important we listen to black voices. It was me and one other person laughing and everybody else was silent. Um, but yeah. And then I already said it's too long. Uh, I think no movie should be above 90 minutes. Save it for the deleted scenes. Save it for the director's cut. You know, you gotta leave them wanting more. I had to pee twice. I mean, granted, I did drink a huge diet of vanilla coke but twice one pee break should suffice for a movie that's all i'm saying i feel obligated to mention that there was an op-ed about taylor swift being gay in the new york times however i think that this was a distraction technique because the new york times also was in hot water for misreporting some facts about the genocide in palestine to justify to justify israel's response around sexual assault look into this i am not a journalist in fact i was listening to past episodes and i just completely reported some things wrong for example rachel Lindsay was never pregnant she just dressed up as rihanna in fact her and her boyfriend are getting our husband her and her husband are getting divorced and i fully thought homegirl was pregnant like bad media literacy on my part but anyways new york times in my opinion i saw a lot of discourse that i did not fact check admittedly about some bad reporting on their end and then suddenly that weekend there was a Gaylor op-ed and that's all anyone can talk about (laughs) let me tell you this I think people that used to be their Kardashians and now it's Taylor Swift you write about them you get clicks it's easy peasy lemon squeezy and so I think that it was just a distraction technique which is sad because it actually really like hurt some people who are really invested in Gaylor like I follow a lot of these people on TikTok and they legitimately get sad and they get hate and it's actually really hard for them every time the conversation about Taylor Swift being gay enters the mainstream and then they face the brunt of the backlash so this I think goes along with what I was saying about just the journalism is using the internet as a tool when they feel like it and they just don't really understand how to engage with it meaningfully and sustainably And then lastly, I just wanted to talk about something I saw on TikTok, of course. I actually commented on this. I don't know why. I guess I was just bored and was like, sure, I'll get involved in the discourse today. But basically, this one user is posting about how she found this girl completely ripping off her content. Like, legit, she would post, like, I'll insert her video so you can hear her talk about it. I was scrolling across TikTok, and this is actually the craziest, weirdest thing I've ever come across. So this is my video from the 23rd of October last year and one of my captions I wrote said whoever's controlling my sim can they make work going three times speed. I come across this video that was posted two months later by someone else and she literally put the same sim emoji said can whoever's in charge of my sim make me work three times speed the exact same caption thought okay bit weird but we'll keep going. 
here's kind of what I was thinking. So the girl who's copying her doesn't have a lot of followers and doesn't really seem to be trying to pursue a career as an influencer. She does give tips to be like in her industry, but they're in different industries. The content that she's copying is pretty surface level. Like it's not groundbreaking. It was stuff like office essentials, sometime with a witty joke. You know, it's not like groundbreaking, no resource. It's not art. It's literally just like a picture, an aesthetic picture of an office environment or her or dinner or whatever with a witty caption. And she got so mad that this girl is legit one for one copying her. Not like not everything this girl posts is copying her, but she's just straight up stealing this girl's posts like word for word, which I agree is super creepy. But is it like copyright infringement? No. And so like the comments on this post are insane. People are like, I hope you get justice. And so I commented the girl who said this and I was like, hey, no, hey, I'm just wondering like, what does justice look like for you in this instant? Because like no crime was committed, you know? And people were answering me back. And I really didn't want to know. I wanted to understand. I didn't agree. I still don't agree, but I wanted to understand. And one girl was like, well, she needs to um acknowledge it and apologize and i was like the acknowledge part i get the i'm sorry i'm like okay i'm sorry that it upset you so much but like what is the actual wrong that was committed here like what was the harm that was done and no one could give me an answer and then one girl was like she's deleting comments calling her out and it's like yeah it's probably fucking embarrassing to be called out in this way like op should have reached out to her directly and then the girl said i did reach out to her directly but she didn't mention that in her video which makes me think she's lying and just all in all i was like okay that is weird but like what harm is caused to you do you think she's ai and she didn't answer And that's the only way I see it as being like an actual like infringement. I think this is just like textbook how human interactions work, especially online, especially on TikTok. You post something and people are going to copy you. So to post something and then get mad when people copy you is so interesting. Like it's just like the Karen Joy discourse all over again. How are you going to be an influencer and then get mad when you influence people? And I think it goes back to what I was saying about trend forecasters getting really kind of like upset when people, when they called a trend and they don't get credit for having called the trend. I think that maybe this isn't a space for you. I think that maybe you don't want to be broad casting to the whole world you want to be the coolest person in your friend group and i think that's totally valid but i also think that if you're putting stuff out there into the world either you want to make a profit off of it which like great so i would see why but like that wasn't the issue here right neither of the like the bottom line for the original girl posting wasn't harmed and the other girl is not looking to make money so she's not selling her content and she's also like completely like she's taking the same picture but she's still taking the picture it's not like she's just straight up stealing this girl's picture or you want to be like so original and cool and have your own distinct style so then gatekeep it don't put it online you don't need external validation and at the end of the day i think what this girl was mad about is that this other girl was getting validation that she felt she was owed Because you can literally look at the metrics, you can look at the likes, you can look at the shares, you can look at the comments. And I think that she was like, these people think they like her, but they love me. And I just saw it and was like, this is such weird behavior. Like I would never get online and bully someone with fewer followers than me. You just wouldn't see me doing that. Unless they're a white woman who deserved it, because I would totally do that. (laughs) Okay, that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Drop me a DM at Megan's Podcast on Instagram or at Virgo Like Beyonce on TikTok. And I will talk to you soon, hopefully in one week. Bye.